Hey, Boards Insiders, it's Patrick here. This is an example of some partner content from Quick Steps. Quick Steps is one of the supporting acts for our 2021 Study Smarter Fest for the USMLE Step 1. Go check out his channel on YouTube by just searching for Quick Steps, all one word. You can also find some free question dissections similar to this one in the Audio QBank app by Inside the Boards. Just search your app store for Inside the Boards and check out insidetheboards.com slash study smarter to learn about all the different things we have to help you study on the go during dedicated prep for free. Hey everybody, welcome back. My name is Quick and I'm here to teach you all about biochemistry. Biochem is one of those topics where Boards is looking for pure regurgitation of facts with little applied logic. The best way to study any topic is through practice questions, and this is even more true for biochem. So let's jump right into questions. For question one, I want you to employ our method like we always do. For those new here, our method is to start by reading the last one or two sentences of the question stem, then the answers, and finally the full question once you know what the hell you're looking for. And this includes highlighting keywords, etc. So uh, I will highlight the first one for you just this time so you can see what I'm talking about. And then from there on, it's all you. All right, so let's begin reading. A lateral ligamentous tear was discovered and surgical repair was performed. Arthroscopy reveals blue-black bone and hyaline cartilage. The deficient enzyme in this patient normally degrades which amino acid? A. Alanine. B. Tyrosine. C. Isoleucine. D. Taurine. E. Elastin. All right, let's read it in full. So in this question, we have a patient that presents with joint pain, black-blue cartilage, dark urine, and it's a young adult, which also kind of hints that it's a condition that is genetic which leads us to what condition? You should be saying alcaptonuria. Hopefully you reviewed this topic. If not, it's okay. We're going to go through this concept. It's pretty high yield. You know, you see it on a lot of different questions and question banks. So in this condition, right, alcaptonuria, you get a buildup of homogentistic acid, which deposits in cartilage and joint spaces. I suggest that you go and do some content review, or you could just memorize what I'm about to say. You don't have to know every enzyme, but you should know high yield facts, such as homogentistic acid is an intermediate in the metabolic conversion of tyrosine, which is our answer. So, just in summary, alcaptonuria is a deficiency of the enzyme that breaks down homogentistic acid, which is a toxic metabolite in the metabolic manipulation of tyrosine. And this buildup occurs within joints and hyaline cartilage. It gives uh, blue-black tones and hues to bones and cartilage. And this results in joint pain, dark urine, and blue-black cartilage, as we see in this question. All right, let's try question two. Question two is pretty short, so try it on your own for about half a minute, uh, and then we'll reconvene and talk about the answers, okay? Okay, so we have a young boy with developmental delay with the finding image of a cherry red macula. This is due to retinal opacification secondary to accumulation of a substance in ganglion cells. Whenever you see these findings, you should think of the lysosomal storage diseases. These findings correlate best with either Tay-Sachs or Neiman-Pick type A or B. So how do we differentiate between these two? Because this is a pretty high-yield concept that boards love to test. It's actually pretty simple. If you have hepatomegaly, it's Neiman-Pick. If not, it's Tay-Sachs. Can't make it any easier than that. So let's go through with which disease each answer correlates. A, sphingomyelin buildup. Well, that's hallmark for Neiman Pick. B, G6P, or glucose 6-phosphate buildup, is von Gehrig's disease. C, cerebroside. So that could either be crab or gauchaise, whether it's gluco or galactocerebrosidase. D, ceramide trihexoside. Well, that's Fabry, right? F-A-B-R-Y. And E, GM2 gangliocide. Well, that's what's building up in Tay-Sachs disease. So we already discussed we're between right A and E because that is Neiman Pick and Tay-Sachs disease, respectively. And I told you that the differentiation is based on hepatomegaly. So the last sentence says percussion and palpation of the liver is unremarkable. In other words, there's no hepatomegaly. So in this case, it's going to be E, GM2 ganglioside because this patient has Tay-Sachs. 
All right, on to question three. Give this question a quick try. Uh, I tried to make it a bit challenging, so congratulations if you're able to get it, but I'll give you about you know half a minute. If you need more time, feel free to pause me when I start talking again, okay? All right, now this question is tricky because it is not enough to know what condition this patient has, but you must know the pathogenesis of each of the answer choices. So this is actually pretty time consuming. So let's read through this quickly and go over each answer. A 34-year-old woman with a past medical history remarkable for hay fever is brought to the clinic for two days of coughing up blood. Complete metabolic panel shows elevated levels of creatinine and blood urea nitrogen. Her urine is dark and tests positive for heme on dipstick analysis. What other condition affects the same tissue? A. Epidermolysis bullosa. B. Menke's disease. C. Marfan syndrome. D. Alport syndrome. E. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Okay, so let's just go over what tissues each answer choice affects. So, A affects the skin, specifically keratinocytes. B affects the formation of collagen in the hair, skin, etc. C affects fibrillin, which kind of goes hand-in-hand with elastin, that affects vessels, right, elastic vessels. D affects type 4 collagen, specifically in the basement membrane of the kidney, eye, and ear. E affects type 3 or 5 collagen, depending if it's classic or non-classic, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome which could be found in the vessels and tendons. So what does this patient have? If you are able to identify it, that's half the battle right there. So we have something affecting the lungs, right? She's coughing up blood. And we have something affecting the kidneys because of the elevated creatinine and blood urea nitrogen levels. And the urine is dark. You have hemoptysis and you have hematuria. So that goes most closely associated with good pasture syndrome. And I even threw in another hint here, hay fever. If you know your HLAs very well, HLA-DR2 has hay fever, multiple sclerosis, and good pasture syndrome. And also lupus, right? SLE-2-3. So what you should be considering is if you knew the HLAs, you know, you could kind of confirm it there. But just from presentation, it looks like good pasture syndrome anyway. And what does good pasture syndrome affect? It affects type 4 collagen in the basement membrane of the kidney and of the alveoli. So what other answer choice that we went over has that? You should be saying D right about now, right? Alport syndrome. Because that affects type 4 collagen, specifically in the basement membrane of the kidney, eye, and ear. All right, so that's pretty good. That was a tough question. Good job on that one. Let's uh, go over question four together. All right, let's read this one together. A newborn presents with lethargy and failure to thrive. Physical exam shows decreased breathing effort. A urinalysis is performed with the results below. Specific gravity 1.02, pH 5.2, ketones are positive, amino acids is elevated for leucine and valine. A defect in which enzyme is most likely responsible for this newborn's condition? A. Phenylalanine hydroxylase. B. Alpha-ketoacid dehydrogenase. C. SGLT2. D. Tetrahydrobiopterin synthase. E. Cyclooxygenase 1. So let's just try to internalize and digest this question a little bit. So we have an abnormal urinalysis and failure to thrive in a newborn. This should be screaming, congenital defect, or some sort of enzymatic deficiency in your head right now. What is unique, however, is the presence of leucine and valine in the urine. Now, whenever they give you amino acids in the urine, you want to make note of which group they fall under, right? So what group does leucine and valine fall under? So if you remember the mnemonic, V-I-L, right, VIL, you'll remember the branch chain amino acids. So that stands for valine, isoleucine, leucine, V-I-L. And usually all amino acids are reabsorbed in the proximal convoluted tubule, so you should not have amino acids at all in a significant concentration being present or excreted in the urine. So this is a know it or you don't kind of question. You want to take note of what you find in the urine that's pretty unique. So in this question, right, it's the two amino acids. It probably is the third one as well, right? We spoke about isoleucine. But they gave you these two because they want you to think, all right, what group do they fall under? And how do you get from there to the answer choice? So in order for anything to show up in the urine, it either cannot be reabsorbed or it cannot be metabolized and you have a, a tremendous buildup in the blood. And then that gets filtered eventually and it all ends up in the kidney and then you can't reabsorb quickly enough. So we're looking for an enzyme that metabolizes branch chain amino acids. So the presence of branch chain amino acids in the urine is actually hallmarked for alpha keto acid dehydrogenase deficiency. And that's the specific enzyme that metabolizes the branch chain amino acids. 
So another name for this condition is maple syrup urine disease because you can smell a sweet syrup-like odor in the patient's urine. So choice B, alpha keto acid dehydrogenase is our answer. All right, let's move on to the next question. All right, so this is a short question too. Let's just read it in full. Acetyl-CoA is an allosteric activator of a mitochondrial enzyme involved in gluconeogenesis. In healthy individuals, the fasting state increases fat breakdown into acetyl-CoA and glycerol. Both acetyl-CoA and glycerol can be converted to glucose through upregulation of gluconeogenesis. Regarding the enzyme that acetyl-CoA activates, what is the product of the reaction it catalyzes? A. Glucose 1-phosphate B. Glucose 6-phosphate C. Fructose 6-phosphate D. Galactose 1-phosphate or E. Oxaloacetate So, no surprise here, this is just more regurgitation of fact. You should know, just from normal biochemistry, that acetyl-CoA is an activator of gluconeogenesis. If you didn't know that, it tells you in the question anyway. I just wanted to get the concept across. But specifically, which enzyme is acetyl-CoA required for as an activator? Now, if you're saying pyruvate carboxylase, which is the enzyme that adds a carbon onto pyruvate, then you're correct. So you need to know the substrate, the enzyme, and the product that is the specific step for acetyl-CoA activation because acetyl-CoA only really activates two enzymes. It's only required as an activator for two enzymes, and, and one of them, which is the more high-yield one, is for gluconeogenesis pyruvate carboxylase. So what's the product of pyruvate carboxylase? So you could go the biochem route where you know that pyruvate is three carbons and you're adding on carbon dioxide, right? Because carboxylase is add on one carbon. So you could already know that choices A through D are not correct through that way alone because glucose, fructose, and galactose all have more than four carbons. And if pyruvate has three carbons and you're adding one carbon on because it's a carboxylase enzyme, well, then you're only going to have four carbons. So you could already get to oxaloacetate as the answer, which it is, just through the biochemistry route. Or you could just do it by memorizing it, which is, to me, a little bit easier. Right, you go from pyruvate to oxaloacetate, which could leave the mitochondrial membrane, and it could go out into the cytoplasm for gluconeogenesis. So in summary, acetyl-CoA activates pyruvate carboxylase, which adds a carbon to pyruvate, converting it to oxaloacetate, which promotes the first step of gluconeogenesis. I know it's not the most fun thing to do biochemistry, but you, know, you do need to learn these high-yield concepts. Okay, I personally think this question is a great question. It's a great concept to know, and it's pretty high yield because maybe you will see this in the clinic, and if you point it out, you'll look like a genius to everyone. So let's start reading. A patient is admitted for severe epigastric pain that radiates to the back. The physician appropriately treats him with fluids and holding feeding. The patient has never experienced this pain before. He has a family history significant for dyslipidemia, so you decide to run a lipid panel. The serum triglyceride level is 1,130. The drug of choice for this patient works through which mechanism? A. It inhibits HMG-CoA reductase. B. It inhibits colipase. C. It sequesters bile acids. D. It inhibits cholesterol acyltransferase. E. It increases activity of lipoprotein lipase. So let's just once again dissect the question. What does this patient have? You should be saying pancreatitis, right? If you have a very high triglyceride level, usually over 1,000, you're at a high risk for pancreatitis secondary to hypertriglyceridemia. And there's always one drug specifically that works best to decrease the triglyceride levels in the serum. Right, because pancreatitis caused by over 1,000 milligrams per deciliter of triglyceride in the serum, you want to decrease that triglyceride in the serum, at least the concentration of it, in order to prevent or resolve this pancreatitis. Otherwise, it will be ongoing and it could cause a whole bunch of complications. So which drug class is meant to specifically lower triglyceride levels, which will, in turn, downstream, stop this patient's pancreatitis from progressing? All right, hopefully you're saying fibrates. Now, how do fibrates work? So fibrates are a little bit tricky. You'll see that it has multiple mechanisms. The two that you should know is that fibrates inhibit 7-alpha hydroxylase, right? That's for formation of cholesterol. And it also activates lipoprotein lipase, which breaks down triacylglycerides, right? Or TAGs, right? Some people say T-A-G-S, TAGs. So we see that that's actually an answer choice, right? Answer choice E, which is the correct answer, increases activity of lipoprotein lipase. So like we said, 
in order to stop this patient's pancreatitis, which is secondary to hypertriglyceridemia, you have to lower the triglyceride levels. The drug that best does that, at least the class of drugs that best do that, are the fibrates. And the fibrates work by two mechanisms. They inhibit 7-alpha-hydroxylase, which is for conversion to cholesterol, and they activate lipoprotein lipase, which breaks down TAGs or triacylglycerides. All right, let's look at the next question. This question is short, but it is super, super high yield. I think it's shown up on everyone's board exam at some point, whether it's step one, two, so on. A diabetic patient is a metformin, atorvastatin, phenofibrate, and lisinopril. He has recently begun to experience pain in his calf, which is worsened when he walks up and downstairs. What is the mechanism behind the pain that the patient is experiencing? A. It's a combined side effect profile of the atorvastatin and metformin. B. It's caused by a decrease in dilacol synthesis. C. It's caused by a decrease in ubiquinone synthesis. D. Autoimmune antibody formation. E. It's caused by fatty deposition on tendons. Alright, so the patient's experiencing calf pain, and they specifically say the word calf to make you think myopathy. Right, so the patient's having a myopathy. So this is super high yield, as mentioned before, and you should just commit this to memory, because it, it will show up both in clinic and on the exams. So as many of you may know or may have studied already, fibrates and statins, that combination specifically, is very likely to cause myopathies. Now, why is that? It's not enough to just know that. You have to also know a little bit about the mechanism of action behind it. So the mechanism of action behind myopathies, secondary to fibrates and statin administration, is that you decrease the conversion to mevalinate, which is in the pathway to make cholesterol, but that same pathway, there's little branches in that pathway to form ubiquinone, which is in the electron transport chain. All right now, starting to click a little bit. Okay, if you mess with the electron transport chain, you mess with the mitochondrias. Where are most of the mitochondria? It's pretty heavily in muscle, right? You're depleting ATP. You're not able to actually make the ATP because the electron transport chain is disrupted, and that's going to cause myocyte spasms or tensing. You can think of it kind of like rigor mortis, where when you die, you no longer make ATP, and your muscles stiffen because you don't have any new ATP to kick the ADP off of the myosin and actin. So it's caused by a decrease in ubiquinone synthesis. So choice C is the correct choice. And we spoke about this a little bit before. On their own, fibrates could also cause myopathies. Statins could also cause myopathies. Basically, anything that affects the early portion of the cholesterol synthesis pathway will mess with ubiquinone synthesis. And that's going to give you myopathy. So be very wary when you see a patient in the question stem who's taking fibrates or statin or both. And boards typically like to test this in terms of, you know, you have two similar side effects or two of the same side effects from two different drugs. They're going to give you both drugs and say, you know, what's most likely to happen or how is it going to happen? So we're on question eight. We have two more to go after this. All right. With that, we will end it here. But the rest of this episode is available on our Audio QBank app. So just search your app store for Inside the Boards. And don't forget to check out Quick Steps YouTube channel for the video version of this content. Just search YouTube for Quick Steps.